0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Goal Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces on TikTok or Instagram. I'm now also available on Twitter. I have been for around a month now at No Huddle NFL underscore. That is at No Huddle NFL underscore with no capitals and no spaces again. I don't post on Twitter too much, especially because right now the NFL isn't very active. But, you know, I try to get stuff out again. When I see breaking news, I try and retweet it with like a little comment on it. But for the most part, there isn't a lot of that right now. But expect that to pick back up. Expect the entire Twitter to just be a lot more active when the news is, you know, more apparent and more well, happens more and occurs more, then I'm going to be posting a lot more there. Otherwise, it's going to be pretty slow for the next like week or two. But, you know, I'm try- I'm going to try and get content out there. I'm going to try and get content out on TikTok. Of course, my priority number one, it always has been this podcast right here. And I'm going to continue with this podcast on the weekly basis. And, you know, occasionally I'll have to change the scheduling. But for the most part, it will be every Wednesday. I'm going to try and get more guests on in the future. But for now, this is just going to be a really, I want to say, short episode. Or at least I think it's going to end up being short. Just because there's not really much to talk about. And I'm just overall tired because school has been killing me lately with work. Especially with regions coming up. And a lot of classes are trying to squeeze in you know, the last parts of the curriculum before those regions pop up. So school, you know, has kind of been killing me, but I still have time for this podcast, so I'm going to get through it. I'm going to start by talking about the two latest new pieces of cornerback news to come out. And let's start with the history-making one, the Jair Alexander contract that he just received, or the extension to his contract that he just received. Ridiculous deal, or at least for a cornerback right now. He received a four-year, $84 million extension, which is the most money that a cornerback has ever had altogether in a contract, if I'm correct. And, by the way, most of that money is in the second year of the contract. And the reason it seems like the Packers did it was to free up cap space for right now. And that tells me at least one thing. They're trying to free up cap space, or at least this is my theory. I think that they're trying to free up this cap space so they can sign a one-year deal for a Julio Jones, an Odell Beckham Jr., maybe? Like, I don't know why else they would be trying to free up cash space for right now. Right? I mean, think about it. There has to be someone that they're looking at, some free agent, because the draft is – the draft already happened. And, well, the only free – the only big-name free agent wide receivers left right now, OBJ, Julio Jones. There's not really many other guys that tier right now with Jarvis Landry now on the Saints. So they're kind of going to be picking up the sprack, picking up the scraps. But that being said, I don't really know why they waited so long to go for a wide receiver if they really want one. Or maybe they're not going to go for a wide receiver. But that's just my takeaway. I really don't know why else they would be trying to free up cap space for right now if they didn't want a receiver like OBJ or Julio Jones. Maybe they like one of those two guys. I mean, OBJ wasn't too bad on the Rams. And Julio Jones, he doesn't look like he used to, but maybe you bring him in in blind hope that he can be at least somewhat close to even what he was in 2020. I bet the Packers will be fine with that. Just got to have him recover from that leg injury that he's been dealing with for like, what, three years? Like, (laughs) it's been killing him. He was not very good with the Titans. Don't get me wrong, but I I really think that they made this move in hopes to get one of those two. Or maybe they just want a veteran to help Kristen Watson. But let's talk about the main point of this, right? They locked in a superb cornerback for four years. But my question, looking at this, why is this the big cornerback contract, right? I want you to really think about it. Kristen Kirk, a wide receiver that has never had a 1,000-yard season, is getting paid four years, $72 million. Meanwhile, Jair Alexander, one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, is getting paid four years, $84 million. It's not like he has an injury problem. Elite corners are way more difficult to get. And there's way fewer serviceable cornerbacks than there are serviceable receivers. So why is it that the wide receiver market is way higher and it costs way more to bring in a very good wide receiver than it costs... To bring in a very good corner. That doesn't really make sense. If it's harder to get good corners. And there's less. Average or especially good corners. Why is it. More expensive. To. Pay. A wide receiver. If those are the easiest ones to get. Or the easier ones to get. That doesn't make sense. So. If I'm a team that has a corner that needs an extension, like Denzel Ward, ooh, actually, now that I remember Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander is not getting paid the most by a corner. Denzel Ward is definitely getting paid more than him. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he gets five-year $100 million, if I'm correct, which isn't more on a year-per-year basis, but it is more altogether in the contract. Still, my point is, Denzel Ward, Jair Alexander, if... They just got their big deal, right? They absolutely got their big deal. If I'm one of these other teams that has a young corner, Falcons, Cough Cough, AJ Terrell, I'm locking them up right now because the cornerback market, I don't know if it will, but it definitely should be skyrocketing sometime soon. Because the truth is cornerbacks should be getting paid more or at least the same amount as receivers. And I, the only argument I get that's kind of towards wide receivers, although not really, is longevity, right? I want you to look at the top 10 cornerbacks in, I don't know, 2018, and then look at the top 10 right now. Completely different. And that's only four years. Right? Like, you bring in a cornerback, pay him all this money, he could fall off in a year or two wide receivers still can definitely happen but it's it's less common so that's the one argument that i can understand but still i i think it should at least be it should at least be close i think they should at least be getting paid the same amount if not more that's my opinion like the truth is the best receivers in the league they get paid 28 29 million per year around that 27 million per year so I think Jair Alexander, Jalen Ramsey, those guys, should be getting paid $28, $27, 26000000 million per year. But another cornerback news. Former Giants cornerback James Bradbury signed with the Giants division rival Eagles earlier today. And I love this move. I really do. According to Sports Info Solutions, the Eagles only run man coverage on 35.6% of snaps. Last year, that was the ninth least out of any NFL team. 35.6% man coverage snaps last year. And we all know, I think anyone who watched James Bradbury knows, He is a better cornerback when he's in zone coverage than he is in man, without a doubt. And Philly needs help in the secondary. They allowed the 11th most passing yards in the NFL, which definitely isn't terrible, but it's still not great. But you also have to keep in mind, they played against a weak schedule last year. Like, their schedule was not very good. They played against the Giants. Oh, whoop-de-doo. You held... Daniel Jones and Jake Fromm and Mike Glennon down to very few yards. Like, okay, I don't, not that difficult. And then they also played against the, well, at the time, Washington football team twice. Oh, good job. You shut down Taylor Heineke. And they also lost Steven Nelson. Don't forget. So they were in a position where Avante Maddox was their cornerback too. So they needed to bring in someone to pair with Darius Lech. Especially to make up for a average at best safety duo. They need to have more than one star in that secondary. Or more than one serviceable player in that secondary. And yes, I am saying that their safeties are not serviceable, because really they're not. They have the guy from the Vikings, who the name is escaping me right now, but he's pretty solid. Like, I guess he's serviceable, but last year he didn't look great. And Darius Slay I like. Darius Slay is good. But the safeties weren't very good. Although, like I said, the guy from the Vikings, when he was on the Vikings, he was good. But on the Eagles, he, he didn't really do much. Wasn't very impressive. I would say he's serviceable. I may I maybe trash-talked him a little bit too much. He's a serviceable player. But still, you got a serviceable safety and a good corner, but that's it. Then Avante Maddox is your cornerback, too. Like, they were not in a good spot. But bring in James Bradbury, now you're in a position, you got someone who is a pretty damn good cornerback one in Darius Slay, And then you got a guy who, you know, two years ago, he was one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Then last year, he definitely wasn't the same guy. But I would still say he's like a low-tier cornerback one. Now he's your cornerback, too, so you're set. And Avante Maddox in the slot? That's fine. And again... Maybe that safety from the Vikings, who, again, the name is escaping me. But maybe he could be good. Anthony Harris. There you go. I just, the name, I I knew I was going to get the name down eventually. Anthony Harris. Used to be on the Vikings. Now he's on the Eagles. He was pretty good on the Vikings. On the Eagles last year, he wasn't great. I'm expecting him to pick it back up. Or if he does pick it back up, that's great then this defense will be a very good threat. But I want you to look at this Philly team now. Now that they brought in Bradbury, the safeties are definitely the biggest weakness. Again, Anthony Harris, if he could bounce back, that safety weakness doesn't even exist. But you look at the team overall, other than quarterback, and like I said, safety isn't great. But everywhere else, they're set. I talked last week about how good that defensive front is, Now they have a pass defense, a good secondary, to pair with it. It's all on Jalen Hurts now. It's all on Jalen Hurts. I look at this team now, and I have no idea how they could possibly lose in this weak division or not win this weak division. Their only real competition is the Cowboys, who only got worse as the Eagles severely improved. And I'm sure I think the Giants should be a little bit better. And if all goes really well, maybe they can, you know, be pretty good. But I don't think that I don't think it's even possible that they're a better team than the Eagles. I honestly think that the Eagles are at least a top five team in the NFC. And as of right now, I truly believe this is the NFC's third best team after the Buccaneers and Rams. I really do think that, like, you got A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith with Quez Watkins as the wide receiver three. Then that offensive line is spectacular. Dallas Goddard's a very good tight end. Miles Sanders, he may not be the best running back, and he may not be great at staying healthy, but with that offensive line, it's difficult to, It's difficult to do poorly. And, of course, the quarterback. Is Jalen Hurts great? No. But can he be? Probably. Like, the truth is, Jalen Hurts, at every step of his entire football career, not just NFL, football career, he improved over time. Even in the NFL. You look at him in his first snap. You look at him the year after, severe improvement. You look at him halfway through that second season, improvement. Like, he just constantly improves. And, yeah, is he a great quarterback? Is No, not yet. But I think the improvement makes me stay optimistic. And I think at some point this season, like halfway through, you, we're going to be – it's very possible that we look at Jalen Hurts and we say, damn, he's pretty good. And with this offense around him, it's going to make him look even better. Anyway, I'm going to go on a quick break. When I return, I'm going to talk about the NFL schedule release. I have three segments about that, and I hope that you're enjoying so far. I'm going to go on a quick break. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast, and I, Patrick Seifer, am going to talk about the NFL schedule, which was released over the past seven days, I believe Thursday, which was right after I posted the podcast, I know, so I'm a little bit late to this, but I still think I have some interesting opinions that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else, so I'm going to start by talking about the the seven games I believe are going to be most exciting. And I'm excluding division rivalry games because let's be honest, the AFC West would be all over this. The basically entire AFC would be all over this. And it would just suck. So I'm ignoring division rivalry games. And I'm just gonna go inner inner division, inner conference, inner everything, just not division. Okay or just no teams that are in the same division are going to be in this. So, my number seven most exciting game in the upcoming season is the Packers at Buffalo Bills in Week 8. You got the superstar arm talent Aaron Rodgers against the even more of a superstar with an even bigger arm Josh Allen going toe-to-toe. It's going to be amazing to watch. I am super excited. You got Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs against Aaron Rodgers and Kristen Watson. Again, Kristen Watson, he's not quite Devontae Adams, but still, I'm excited to see what he does with them, and I'm excited to see Aaron Rodgers in a shootout. I feel like this is one of the games where we might see a last-second Aaron Rodgers-Hail Mary win them the game because we know this game's going to be a shootout, You know, those defenses are also pretty good. I'm not as high on the Packers' defense as some others, but if the Packers' defense is anywhere near as good as people think it's going to be, maybe this game won't be that high-scoring. Although, it seems like there's some offenses that just can't be restrained. And at times, Aaron Rodgers, when he wants it to be, his offense can be one of those offenses that just won't be stopped, no matter who the defense they're against is. And we've also seen it with the Bills. Look at that AFC championship game. When they want to just straight-up dominate, it doesn't matter what defense they're against. They're just going to beat you. They just have the guys. They just are able to do that. It would be a great game to watch because it's one of the ones where it wouldn't surprise you if it's a shootout. It wouldn't surprise you if both teams end up with around 20 points. Like, it's one of those games, and I love to see those. Because you never know what you're gonna what you're gonna get. But you know damn well that it's gonna be a good game. My sixth best game from this upcoming season is also a Bills game. This one is also before the halfway mark of the season. It's really early in the season. In fact, it's the first game of the season. Bills at Rams, week one. First off, NFL starting up that day, but I, I'm keeping that out of this ranking, but I'm just saying we have a really, really good game to open up the season. Really great one. I just talked about the Bills and how it's just spectacular and amazing they are, especially Josh Allen, but he's going toe-to-toe with another big-armed quarterback, Matthew Stafford, and this great Rams team that won the Super Bowl last year. I mean, this is what... Could have been the Super Bowl last year. If it weren't for a coin flip, this very well could have happened. So it's great to see this happen week one as the first game of the season. Just an overall great matchup to start the year off. I I can't stress that enough. And we get to see Allen Robinson in a Rams uniform. We get to see James Cook in a Bills uniform. We get to see Von Miller against the team he just won a Super Bowl with last year. It's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a fun game. Jalen Ramsey going up against Stephon Diggs. I mean, ooh, boy. And how well will that Bills offensive line hold up against Aaron Donald? It's just a great matchup. And what about Tredavious White on Cooper Cup? That's a really good matchup, too. This is a matchup of two teams that will have a lot of matchups that are almost as interesting as the game itself. Overall, just a great matchup there. Now let's move into the top five. Not the Bills this time. Bengals at Buccaneers. Week 15. The Buccaneers are still a damn good team. As long as Brady's there, they're going to remain damn good. I don't care who the coach is. I don't care if it's Todd Bowles. I don't care if it's Bruce Arians. I don't care if it's Byron Leftwich. It doesn't matter to me. As long as Brady's there, the team is going to be good. Okay? And the Bengals were just in the Super Bowl last year. We get to see two potent offenses and what they're going to do against two of the best secondaries in the NFL. It will be fun to watch because these are two offenses that love to throw the ball, but these are two defenses that have the personnel to be really good against the pass. So, again, just an overall great matchup. We get to see two teams that have the gr- these great players at wide receiver, the Bengals with Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase, and then the Buccaneers with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, who will most likely be back by week 15, right? And then Russell Gage, who I think is going to be pretty damn good on the Buccaneers. But then the secondaries that they're going against, how well is Mike Evans going to be able to do against Shadobia Wuzier? How well will Chris Godwin be able to do with Daxton Hill or Jesse Bates covering him? How well will Jamar Chase be able to do with an equally physical cornerback in Sean Murphy Bunton covering him. What about T Higgins against Carlton Davis or Jamel Dean against Tyler Boyd? Like, it's just the secondary matchups here, or the secondary on wide receiver matchups in this game are going to be ridiculous. It's going to be a great night. And we're going to see how these Offenses that love to throw the ball are going to do against these defenses that are really good against the pass. And again, the front seven is going to try and get involved, especially for the Buccaneers. Like, how well will the Bengals offensive line be able to hold up against this Buccaneers front seven that loves to get after the quarterback? It's It's such a great matchup right here. In terms of just the scheme and what the teams like to do. My number four. Two teams I just mentioned. Two teams from the NFC. Rams against Buccaneers. Right at the middle point of the season. Week nine. In Tampa Bay. We saw this in the playoffs last year. And it was a damn good game. Went down to the last second. Will Tom Brady come into that game with a chip on his shoulder? Knowing Stafford knocked him out of the playoffs last year, will he be going into that game thinking, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting beaten by this team again? And we know how Brady plays when there's a chip on his shoulder. And we get to see Matthew Stafford just try and dot up a very good secondary that I just mentioned in that last part in that last segment. The Rams and Buccaneers, like, for you to understand how good of a matchup this is, just watch the game from last year in the playoffs. Yeah, it's slightly different. The slight difference is being Antonio Brown isn't here this time, although he wasn't here that time either, but now they brought in Russell Gage instead of Scottie Miller. Then you got Von Miller being replaced by Bobby Wagner. Maybe they're not quite the same player because Bobby Wagner, you know, he's a true off-ball linebacker. Von Miller Miller is a edge rusher, so it's a little bit different. But the point is, defensive talent in one area was replaced by defensive talent in another area, and I think that that's going to take a huge effect on the game because – I am going to say it again. I say it all the time. In order to beat Brady, you have to get pressure in his face without blitzing. Von Miller not being on the Rams anymore is going to make it a lot harder for them to do that. So that could be the key to the Buccaneers winning this game. But these teams are slightly different, but they're the same enough for us to know that this game is going to be just as good as it was in the playoffs last year. Like I said, The Buccaneers lost a little bit of offensive firepower. But the Rams lost a little bit of their defensive firepower. My number three matchup. These are two teams I haven't mentioned yet. The Miami Dolphins playing at the 49ers in week 13. Mike McDaniel against his former team. That's one storyline around this game. But I also think it's just going to be interesting to see how Tyreek Hill does against his former teammate, Shadarius Ward. The cheat, or sorry, the Dolphins have, or they seem like they're going to have a very unique offense. It's going to be a lot of dink and dunk, A lot of, okay, Tyreek Hill has the ball. Make a run after the catch. That's where most of our yardage is going to come from. Okay, now Jalen Waddle has the ball. He has to make plays after the catch. That's how this offense is going to work. It's not going to be Tua taking those deep shots down the field. That's not what it's going to be. And the 49ers are very similar in that way. And that's why I think it's going to be so interesting to watch. The defenses are set up a little bit differently. But still, I think these are two teams that are similar enough where it's just going to be a battle of players. And I think both of these teams have some firepower, have some star power to them. And I also think by this point of the year, the 49ers quarterback situation will be solved. They know, oh, is Jimmy Garoppolo going to be our guy? Is Trey Lance going to be our guy? They'll know that, like, officially by then. Because, again, week 13. So, I'm expecting this game, Dolphins at 49ers, to be a very good one. And this is a matchup between two teams that are trying to fight to sneak into those playoffs, to sneak into a wild card spot. Because both these teams are not, neither of these teams are gonna make it as the leader of their division. They're not gonna win their division. Neither team is. But both of these teams are are gonna be fighting for a wild card spot because both teams have the talent to do it. And this game, all the way in Week 13, is going to be a crucial part of that. Week 2. Or, sorry, number 2. Week 4, Chiefs at Buccaneers. Here's another really good game. A rematch of a past Super Bowl. And it's in Tampa, just like that Super Bowl was, too. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are a slightly different team than they were last year because, of course, Tyreek Hill's gone. But I'm one of the few people, and this is a little bit of a hot take, but I'm one of the few people that legitimately believes that this Chiefs offense is not going to take a step back. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be much better, but I don't think it's going to take a step back. Now, I get it. Juju or whoever the wide receiver won on the Chiefs is, is not going to be the same type of player that Tyreek Hill is. Absolutely not. With the Chiefs, what they lost in quality when they lost Tyreek Hill, they made up for in quantity. They made up for the loss of Tyreek Hill by bringing in Juju Smith, by bringing in Sky Moore, by bringing in all these players, all these wide receivers. Let's not forget, they got Justin Ross as an undrafted free agent. And yeah, undrafted free agent, oh, he might not even make the team. Take it from me right now. Justin Ross is going to make this Chiefs roster. Justin Ross should not have went undrafted. It's just a little bit of injury concern that knocked him all the way out of the draft class. And then they still got McCall Hardman, too. Like, this Chiefs offense... They don't have that one-two punch that they had with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. But now they got the superstar Travis Kelsey and then a bunch of other receivers that will be able to do different things. This offense is going to be a lot more spreading the ball around than it used to be. And I think now it's about Mahomes' ability mentally. We know what he could do physically. Now it's about what he could do mentally. It's about his ability to spread the ball around and understand what each receiver is good at. And I think week four against the Buccaneers is going to be a very interesting time to see how Mahomes adapts to this new style of play, to see how well he's able to execute. The Buccaneers, if you don't know what you're doing against a team like the Buccaneers, you're screwed. If Mahomes can't make that adaption by week four, they don't win this game. And that's why I think it's so important because this game is going to require Mahomes to take a step up mentally. Something that we haven't really seen him do in all honesty. Like, of course, he's a better player mentally than he was his rookie year when he was on the bench. Absolutely. But we're yet to see him execute an offense without, and I don't want to sound like a Mahomes hater here. I really don't. But we're yet to see him go a full game executing an offense without at least having one throw that you're like, oh, damn, he's lucky he has Tyreek Hill. And I'm not saying he can't do that because it's Patrick Mahomes. I really think he can. And he showed the ability to do it. But I think mentally Mahomes is going to have to take the biggest step up of his entire career in order to understand, oh, shoot, I have to time my throws well in order for a player like Juju Smith to be able to have the production that a Tyreek Hill had or for a player like Sky Moore to even half the production that Tyreek Hill had. And I think this Buccaneers game is going to be a true test in Mahomes' ability to do that. Not to mention, too, this this game is just going to be great overall. Come on. A Super Bowl rematch of two teams that really only got better since that Super Bowl. But number one, and I'm sorry, these are two teams I've mentioned before on the list. Bills at Chiefs. How could I possibly not These two teams played each other in the playoffs last year, and it was extremely controversial in terms of how it ended because of those overtime rules. Now, keep in mind, because it's a regular season game, this game will have the same overtime rules, which sucks. But hopefully this one doesn't go into overtime. But I also hope it's still just as amazing and spectacular to watch as that last one was, because that last one, some people after it happened were saying that that was the best game of all time. And even more people are saying it was the best divisional round game of all time. And I probably have to agree with those people. At least the best one I've seen. The high scoring offense, a lot of times I don't enjoy seeing suit outs as much as other people, but. When it's against really good defenses, that's why I love it. And I think the Bills and Chiefs defense are both good units. Like I do. Especially with some of the additions that the Chiefs made over the offseason. Yeah, I like this Chiefs defense. And the Bills defense, we already know it's great. So, seeing these two offensive powerhouses go toe-to-toe with each other and just overpower some pretty solid defensive units, that's fun to watch. And I think this game overall is just going to be amazing to watch. That's why I have it at number one. And hopefully it doesn't end with the decision being made by a coin toss. I really hope it doesn't. But, I mean, if neither defense can stop the opposing offense, it probably will end that way, which sucks. The final segment and final thing I want to talk about before I end this podcast up is the four teams that I'm pretty sure 99% of NFL fans agree have the easiest schedule in the NFL, the NFC East as a whole. Their schedule is extremely easy, and I want to talk about what that means for this NFC playoff picture That seems very unpredictable outside of those top five teams. Now, I know it's early, but still, I just feel a need to talk about it because looking at all the schedules that these teams received, I can't help but say the NFC East, their schedules are ridiculously easy compared to the rest of the league. And I really just need to put that into perspective for you guys, just how easy it is. They're all four of the teams in the NFC East play against the AFC South, which is probably the weakest division in the NFL. You got the Colts, Titans, and then Jaguars and Texans. And then all four of the teams in the NFC East play against them. Then they also play against the NFC North, which is Packers, Lions, Bears, Vikings. So you got the Packers who are like a real threat. Then Detroit, they're better. Like they could, they can actually finish around 500. And Minnesota is the definition of average. And Chicago is one of the worst teams in the NFL. And each team plays one member of the NFC West and South. So, the West is hard. The NFC West is a difficult division. And NFC South is, other than the Buccaneers, just a bunch of bums. And the Saints are also pretty good. But then you got Carolina and the Falcons, which those teams are terrible. And the AFC North, which also tough division. So, realistically, outside of your division rivals, you got a hard team in the in the Packers, right? Then AFC South, they all play the Colts. So the, the Colts and Packers are definitely hard games. Those are the only two hard games that every team in the NFC East has to play. Then every team has to play one member of the NFC West. They're all good except for the Seahawks. So the one that's playing the Seahawks, which I'm pretty sure is the Giants, very lucky. Then they play one member of the NFC South, which other than whatever team plays the Buccaneers, which I'm very confident is the Cowboys. That's an easy matchup for them, or at least mediocre if you're playing the Saints. And the AFC North, all all four teams in the AFC North are hard. So realistically, each team has like four difficult matchups and then also division rivals. The NFC, we, the NFC East is just a weak division overall. And they play all of those teams twice. So the Cowboys, Giants, and Eagles are playing the Commanders twice. That's easy. The Eagles are playing the Giants twice. Easy. Cowboys are playing the Giants twice. Easy. Or at least you would think. Cowboys are not that great of a team. They're probably around mediocre, around the league average. That's not overly difficult. I could definitely see a team like the Giants possibly splitting with them. But the the reason that I mention this is the NFC is super weak. The NFC only has five playoff caliber teams, that being the Eagles, 49ers, Packers, Rams, and Buccaneers. So the advantage that the NFC East has with the easy schedule, can result in the Cowboys possibly sneaking in to one of the last two playoff spots, or even the Giants sneaking in. Now, both of those teams, I think, will get embarrassed if they make it to the playoffs, I'm going to be honest, because I think the Cowboys didn't really look like a playoff team last year, in all honesty, and they only got worse. And the Giants are in step one of a complete culture change. That being said, I like Dabble. Kayvon Thibodeau, adding him is great. You know, maybe Daniel Jones takes a step up and everything. The offensive line should be better. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, and I hate that I'm going to say this because they're just going to get humiliated The Giants, because of how easy their schedule is, can sneak in at, like, the seven seed. Of course, they're going to get torched. Again, they're going to get absolutely torched. They're going to get embarrassed on live television with the entire country of America watching. But they'll make it. Or they can. They just need to beat out the Cowboys, which isn't too hard. The, the Giants are going to have to overperform a little bit of everyone's expectations, but I'm not going to act like they can't do it. They got the right coaches. Wink Martindale, I like. Brian Dabble, I like. You know, Daniel Jones has a breakout year, and Kenny Galladay starts to play like the player he's getting paid to be. With Wink Martindale at the helm, that defense starts to play well. These are not unrealistic things. And with such a weak schedule, they can make it ahead of the Cowboys. They really can. Again, that schedule being weak really helps them. Should they be in the playoffs? No. But I'm saying right now that two teams in the NFC East, one of which being the Eagles, are going to make it to the playoffs and it probably will be the cowboys making it but realistic chance for G- some optimism for giants fans right now anyway that's it for this episode of the goal line podcast i hope you enjoyed if you want more content check out no huddle nfl on tiktok or instagram that is no huddle nfl with no capitals and spaces i'll see you next week